Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of Family Matters. How many people are enjoying the series so far? A couple weeks ago, my good friend Chris Cook came and he was speaking mainly to our singles about the importance that they share in the body of Christ. And he did a great job. And as always, even though it was meant for singles in our church, it ministered to all of us. And today, what I want to do is I want to focus in on marriage. And I want to talk a little bit to the married couples this morning. But as always, if you're single, you can apply some of these principles to just about any relationship you have. But Megan and I, we started dating when we were 16 years old. We dated for four and a half years before we got married at the ripe old age of 21 and 20 years old. With all of our wisdom and knowledge, and we were ready to take marriage by storm. And uh, when we dated, we always had this strong chemistry together. We felt in love. We did romantic things all the time. But then something happened. About two years into our marriage, we kind of felt like something was missing. We felt a little bit disconnected from each other. We didn't feel quite as in love. We were in love. We weren't on the brink of divorce or anything, but we just didn't feel in love. We didn't feel like we were going out of, out of our way to do romantic things for each other anymore. It didn't feel like we had this special bond anymore. It didn't feel like we were prioritizing each other. The whole opposite attract thing wasn't quite as cute two years into marriage when you're trying to figure out what to do on a Sunday afternoon or what to do um, on vacation or what to do with a date night. So we were kind of feeling stuck. We were stuck in what we called roommate mode where there wasn't as much romance in our marriage. And one day, uh, I came home and I found Megan reading a book about marriage. It was called For Women Only. And she's reading this book every night as I come home, day after day. She's reading this book and she finally finished it one evening and she came up to me with tears in her eyes and she said, Chris, I am so sorry. I have not been what you needed me to be. I really don't know how to be a wife. I'm realizing this, and I'm so sorry. I haven't done what you needed me to do in this marriage, and I will get better. I thought, wow. <laughs> Finally, she gets it, you know? <laughs> All right, this is a good thing. All that praying for her to understand that finally paid off. <laughs> but then something happened to me. See, this is what happens in marriage a lot of times. When someone goes first, when someone works on them instead of trying to change the other person, 
but starts to work on themselves, you inspire the other person to kind of work on themselves. So I thought, well, you know, if she's growing in her marriage, in our marriage, maybe I should pick up a book. So I picked up the book for men only. And as I began to read this book, I realized something. I wasn't a very good husband. I was not giving my wife the very essential things that she needed on a day-to-day basis. And I wasn't doing it because I simply didn't know. Because things like that don't just come naturally to us. Naturally, we are very selfish people. And when we don't take the time to invest and be intentional about our marriages, it's very easy to get stuck in what we call roommate mode, where you're just going through the motions of marriage, just sticking together because it's what you've always done, but both of you feel like you're missing something. And as I began to read this book, I went up to my wife, tears in my eyes this time, and said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. You're doing a way better job than I am. But let's work on this together. And I can honestly say from that moment on, we decided to never fall into the roommate mode trap again. And the way we decided we were going to do that is we were going to intentionally do things to grow our marriage every single year. We were going to go to marriage conferences, we were going to read books, we were going to listen to podcasts, and we were determined that this relationship would be the most important relationship in our lives. And over the course of the last 20 years, we just celebrated our 20-year anniversary last month, we became relationship coaches and we have counseled and coached couples for the last 10 years, hundreds of them to try to get them to understand how to go from roommates to romance. And so it was interesting because about six months ago, we felt like the Lord was prompting us to create a marriage course. And we were thinking about this and we're like, what should we call this marriage course? And and we called it um, going from how to go from roommates to romance. It's called Make Love Work, How to Go from Roommates to Romance. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning because we believe that romance should be a part of any marriage for any length of time. And we don't, we didn't just come up with that on our own. This is a biblical thing. And if you don't think romance belongs in marriage, You've never read the book of Song of Solomon, because Song of Solomon is a book written by a husband and wife to each other, which I believe is put in the Bible to show us that marriage isn't just about having kids, it's not just about doing life together, it's about romance. It's about having an intimate relationship with your spouse. So I'm going to read a few verses from the book of Song of Solomon this morning, so don't blush on me. And if you have some children in the place, you might want to cover their ears for a little bit of this. Just kidding, it's not, it's not going to get crazy in here, don't worry. But Song of Solomon is a back and forth written between the wife and the husband. 
And she says some things, then he says some things. And this is what she says to him. Verse, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. 116, you are handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. Ah, I hear my lover coming. He's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is mine and I am his. Verse 10 through 12, my lover's dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. His head is fine as gold. His wavy hair is black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. Come on, this is some romance, you know? So then he responds to her and he says these kinds of things to her. Chapter 1, verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are like doves. I don't know if that's a compliment, but I think it is. <laughs> two, two, like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. You are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes. This is a married couple. This isn't a dating couple. This is a married couple, okay? 4.10, your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. 8.13, oh, my darling, lingering in the gardens, your companions are fortunate to hear your voice. Let me hear it too. Most people have been married a long time. They're like, can you stop talking? <laughs> Don't be nudging your spouse. I saw that. He just longed to hear her voice. So this shows us, this book shows us that God designed marriage to continually have romance and adventure in it. Not to just get caught in roommate mode, but to have some romance. So what Megan and I have found is that there's three major problems that put us into roommate mode and keep us from experiencing some romance. And so we're going to get into those this morning. Everyone loved my drawing so much the last time I did it, I decided to take another, another stab at it here. So the first problem that we have in marriage that prevents us from being romantic is conflict. The second problem that we have is feeling stressed and alone. And the third problem that we have is just feeling disconnected. These are problems that we have. So we have unresolved conflict or we have pain from conflicts that we've had in the past. We have wounds 
from maybe not having conflict the right way. Because there's ways, proper ways to have conflict in your marriage, and there's some ways that are unhealthy. Every marriage is going to have conflict. Every single marriage. You can't avoid it. In fact, I would say that if there's not conflict in your marriage, something is missing. Something is wrong. Because we should be, on a regular basis, asking each other, bringing up things we wish we had more or less of in our marriage. It's not a problem to say, hey, hon, I wish we had more of this or less of this in our marriage. We can totally do that. We should be having those conversations. That's how we grow as a couple. The problem is when we have those conversations, sometimes they come out in the heat of the moment. We say things in a harsh way. We use a different tone of voice. We're not a safe place to talk to the other person. Or we say things that we regret later. And that's why wounds from conflict can keep us in roommate mode, and actually, poor habits, poor conflict resolution skills can actually wound us to where we are now unattracted to our spouse. And that happens from time to time. So there's a right way to communicate, and there's a wrong way to communicate, and the way we communicate to each other sends a strong message to one another. And some of this There are so many wounds from just conversations that went wrong that we are stuck. Some of our marriages get stuck. But it's okay. The reason why we have problems communicating with each other is because we make a lot of things about us instead of the other person. To give you an example, let's say my wife comes to me and she says, Honey, I wish we went on more dates. If we went on more dates, I'd feel more connected to you. You know what immediately my mind starts to do as a man? I start saying, what are you talking about? All we do is go on dates. We went on two dates last week. We went for a walk. We went out to dinner. We watched a show. How many dates do you need to go on? How could you possibly think we don't go on enough dates? This is what's going on in my mind because what am I doing? I'm making it about me. It's an attack on me as a husband. I'm failing in an area. It's bringing insecurity out in me. And that insecurity comes to the surface and now I get defensive and I want to mount my defense to my wife. When simply a fight could be avoided if I realized my wife feels disconnected to me. She does. I can sit here and try to tell her why she shouldn't feel that way. I could sit here and try to defend my position and convince her why we date more than any other couple on the planet, that it's a ridiculous thing, or I can honestly try to get to my wife's heart and figure out why we're not connected right now and fix it instead of making it about me. And when we do that, now the wounds, the defense The offense we go on, it can be avoided. Fights can be, they can be handled like that. It was funny because Megan and I, we we were putting together this marriage course, 
and we did one about how to fight fair with your spouse, and we were talking about this very thing when we were filming it, and that night we got in a fight, (laughs) and we didn't do anything we said to do in our trainings. We knew to do it, we just decided not to do it, and um, I was saying stuff, she was saying stuff, and then all of a sudden in the middle of it, we just started cracking up. We said, we just did a training on this. How funny is it? So in the heat of the moment, when emotions are high, try to take a deep breath, try to take a step back and say, what is my spouse really, what's in their heart? What are they really trying to say? It's not about me. It's about them. What do I need to hear and how do I need to fix this? And it helps If your spouse comes to you and says something like she did, like if Megan came to me and said, I don't think we go on very many dates, and because of that, I feel disconnected from you, I can respond in a healthy way. Now, if she said, you never take me out on dates, you spend all your time with your guy friends, you laugh, you hang out with them, you don't plan anything for us, we don't ever do anything, we don't do this, you never think about me first, now I'm going to get defensive, right? Now that wasn't a safe place. And so oftentimes we start the conversation or the conflict in an unhealthy way and it gets out of control fast. But if we could learn to do this in a healthy way, which is the solution, is to lovingly resolve conflict. And that happens when you put your spouse and your relationship ahead of the conflict, ahead of being right. Oh man, this is hard. I wanna be right. I wanna, I gotta win the argument sometimes and I place the value of being right and winning the argument higher than the relationship. We all do this in different ways. But to lovingly resolve means we listen to our spouse, we hear their heart, we figure out what's really going on, and we try to work towards resolution in a healthy way. And then the second key to that is actually improving your poor habits. So your spouse comes to you and says, hey, I wish we had more of, sure, honey, I'm going to do that. And then we never do it. Now we get stuck in roommate mode. So if my wife says, hey, you know, I wish we went on more dates. I would feel so much more connected. We've worked through that, and then I never take her on a date in the next month. We don't actually see progress in our marriage. So improving habits is another way that we can avoid conflict, unhealthy conflict in our marriage. And then the last thing is when we hurt each other, because this is inevitable. Whenever you live with any person, whether you're married, you have a roommate, you live with a sibling, whatever it is, you are going to hurt each other. It's just going to happen. It's unavoidable. There's There's a phrase that just changes things. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Why is that so hard to say? Why is it so hard to say? It is. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we're admitting failure and then we think we're failures. Just remember, failure is an event. It's not a person. 
It's okay to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry for hurting you. I, didn't, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that girl. It's okay. And some people have been holding on to wounds for years and years because they never heard a person say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And this, these things is what keeps us in roommate mode, living under the same roof, but not experiencing romance, not experiencing love, in love feelings. Listen, I know feelings are dangerous. Being in love and, and married isn't always about feelings. It's a choice. But we should have in love feelings for our spouse. It's okay. It's good. It's a good thing. And it happens when, one, we figure out how to lovingly resolve our conflict and seek and grant forgiveness and make things right. That's the first step. The second step, the second problem is um, we feel stressed out, alone, underappreciated, overwhelmed with life. How many people have felt like that? Don't raise your hand. But um, stressed out. I'm alone. I'm doing all the work around here. I feel like I'm doing everything. I'm busy. What is my spouse actually doing, bringing to this side? How, how can they not see how stressed out I am? So we're stressed. We have homes that are busy. We lack peace. And we lack unity. The solution to that is Unity and peace. We were coaching a couple one time, and she was so mad because they had a couple kids, and they, they were fighting a lot. And it was basically, she didn't think he was doing enough around the house, He's like, I don't know what she expects, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're going back and forth with this whole thing. And she was mad because the, the, she was looking in her refrigerator and in her pantry and the groceries were getting less and less and less and she was mad he didn't go grocery shopping. He sees that the groceries are getting less. Why doesn't he go to the grocery store? And I said, well, who normally goes to the grocery store? Well, me. So... You're mad because he's not doing something that you normally do. Yeah. He's seeing the groceries are less. Have you ever communicated about that? Have you ever said, hey, I wish you did more grocery shopping? No, he should just know. Well, here's the problem. We don't know, guys. We don't know, okay? We can't get in your head. We honestly, I wish sometimes we could. We cannot read each other's minds. And this is a problem. Because we both have a level of expectation we put on the other person. They should know this. They should know I'm stressed. They should know I'm tired. They should know to do this. They should know to plan this. They should know. And we just don't communicate. And it leads to feeling alone, stressed out, overwhelmed and underappreciated. Puts us into roommate mode. So the, the way to get unity in peace 
is to do what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Something that we do in order to have peace in a home is clearly define what each other's thinking, what are the expectations, and are they realistic? Are our expectations for each other realistic? We need to set realistic expectations for our spouse, and we need to communicate those expectations. Because if we don't, a couple things happen. You just end up living bitter at your spouse, and you get bitter, and one spouse doesn't even know you're bitter. But you end up going down this road of bitterness and animosity, or you're fighting all the time. And so, what are the expectations? Who's going to do what? Clearly define some expectations and some goals for your relationship. An exercise that we started to do with couples is having relationship and family goals. What are you going after as a family? See, sometimes we get so stuck in the day-to-day stressors. Things are crazy around the house. Work is crazy. Dishes are piling up. Kids are running everywhere. And we are just surviving the day. And we get stuck survival mode. Day after day, it's the same thing. I just got to survive today. I just got to survive today. Just got to get through today. What happens is you look back five years later and you're like, what did we do? We survived. So something we, we challenge some couples to do now is to create a vision board together. What are you going after? What, what do you want as a couple what do you want in life? What are some bucket life, bucket list items for your life? What are some things that are in your heart to do as you are in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s? What do you want to do? What are some goals for ministry that you want to do as a family or as a couple? What are some things that you're going to go after because nothing bonds a couple together than accomplishing something of significance together? When you start to do something together and you look back, man, we did that together. It's amazing. It brings a whole new bond to your marriage relationship. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. How are we motivating our marriage relationship? How are we becoming more godly? How are we, how are we doing more things as a family, modeling what, what it looks like to our kids? How are we doing that? So that's the solution, I feel, from being stressed out and alone is to bring some unity to peace, have some realistic expectations, go after something as a family. And the last thing is we feel disconnected. We feel disconnected, we feel unpursued, like the romance is gone, we don't feel 
as in love as we once did. Well, what's the solution to being disconnected? Connecting. One of the first ways that we can really connect with our spouse is to understand that we're different. Men and women are different. Men need things that women don't need and women need things that men don't need. But so many times we try to love them the way we want to love them instead of loving them the way they need to be loved and that leads to a disconnection. So we got to understand that one of the main things a man needs is respect and admiration. We really do. We want to be admired by our spouse. We want to be respected. That's why we get so defensive in a fight is because we're now hearing, you don't respect me, you don't admire me, you don't look at me like you used to. See, the closer you get, the longer you've been married, you see each other's flaws, and the more you focus on the flaws, the more your respect level goes down instead of focusing on the strengths. And so, guys, we want to be admired. Listen to the way Solomon's wife, what she says. In verse chapter 2, verse 8, she says, Oh, I hear my lover coming. He's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. This is larger-than-life character. He's strong, and there's nothing he can't accomplish. I mean, when a woman believes in you like that, it changes things. We begin to rise. She says in 2-3, Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other men. There's no one better than him. No one. No one better than him. Ladies, is that the way you feel about your husband? The finest apple tree in the orchard? We need that. We need to feel that. That admiration and respect. Women need security. They need to be cherished and pursued. That's what they really long for in life. Is that security to be cherished, to be pursued. Like this, like King Solomon says in 4.9, you have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes. Ladies, when was the last time you heard that from your man? This is what he says in chapter 2, verse 2, like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. There's no one as beautiful as you to me. There's no one who compares to you. I cherish you. You're like the only woman in the world I have eyes for. See, we need this in our marriages. When we hear these things, when we feel this way, when there's admiration, respect for men, all of a sudden we want to pursue and we want to cherish, but we lack admiration and respect we tend not to cherish and pursue. And when a woman is not cherished and pursued or feeling secure, she tends to not admire and respect. So we get on this crazy cycle and someone has to go first. Just like Megan had to, she, she went first in our marriage. 
She picked up the book. She started looking at me with admiration and respect, and it changed the way I began to act. I began to rise. See, men will rise when their wife believes in them. Women will rise when a man pursues them and cherishes them and makes them feel special. So that's important. Understand our differences. Another thing is to consistently connect emotionally and sexually. This is important in marriage. Connecting emotionally and sexually is what sets apart this marriage relationship from any other relationship on the planet. This is what uh, Solomon's wife says. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. If you read the book of Song of Solomon, I'm not going to get into it. You can do that as a homework assignment with your spouse over the next week. But there's a lot of emotional and physical intimacy in this book. They don't hold back. And I believe it's there because God wanted to show us a model of marriage that is possible. It's possible to connect emotionally in marriage, to fill each other's tank up emotionally and sexually. This is a very important to have this on a consistent basis if you want to feel connected with each other. This is why guys tend to go to other things, artificial intimacy, or women go to artificial intimacy because we're feeling emotionally and sexually bankrupt and not fulfilled in our marriage. So what do we do? We go to artificial intimacy, things like pornography, romance novels. Why is that popular? Because we're not getting it from our spouse. And we've just said, huh? We've been married a long time. It's just the way it is. No, I don't buy that. I don't believe that. I don't believe God put these verses in the Bible if that were the case. He wants us to continue to pursue each other emotionally and sexually. Another thing we need to do if we want to feel connected with each other is to consistently have fun and laughter with each other. When was the last time you laughed until your stomach hurt with your spouse? When was the last time you felt like you were on an adventure? See, as we get married, what ends up happening is our laughs, our adventure happen when we go out with the guys. Guys go out with the guys or the girls go out with the girls. Then you laugh and you have fun. And when you come together, it's like you're putting the time in. Yeah, well, let's go to dinner, you know. We'll just hang out, stare at each other, not say much look at our phones a little bit. Ah, we went on a date. That was awesome. Let's go home and watch a show. When was the last time you laughed? You had fun? This is possible, even if you've been married a long time, but it takes intentionality. Something that Megan and I have discovered, there's an app that the Gottman Institute puts out, and it's, it's a deck of cards. And when you go out, you can click on this deck of cards and ask each other. They, they give you questions to ask each other. 
And this, this, this deck, I'm like amazed at how much laughter it's brought into our marriage, how much deep discussion, even after 20 years of marriage, we can still have with one another. See, it takes intentionality, but it's possible. Listen to this, Song of Solomon 2, 10 through 13. My lover said to me, rise up, my darling, come away with me. Look, the winter is past and the rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up. The season of singing birds has come and the cooling of turtle doves fills the air. The fig trees are forming young fruit and the fragrant grapevines are blossoming. Rise up, come away with me. He's saying, listen, winter's over. Let's go do something. Let's go on vacation. Let's go have fun. Let's go on an adventure together. It's time. When was the last time you planned an adventure? Just the two of you. Just the two of you. Not with another couple. Not with the kids. Just the two of you. To go out. To have fun. To have adventure in your marriage. If you're feeling like you're in roommate mode, it's probably because you don't feel super connected right now. The last one I'm going to say when it comes to connection, and I think is the most important one, is to connect spiritually with your spouse. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10, and 12 says this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer, and three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. When we bring God into our marriages, it's a game-changer. Because, you know, God has wired us, and He's given us gifts and talents, and there's so many successful men and women in this room that you have just done so many amazing things for yourselves. But without God, we have a lid. We can do stuff. We can accomplish stuff. But when we bring God into the mix, now we take the lid off. And God can do supernaturally what we can't do naturally. He can heal some wounds from conflict that maybe, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me, won't quite cover. He can begin to heal your wounds and transform your heart. He can bring unity and peace into a marriage situation. He can help you feel more connected no matter how disconnected you feel. But spending time in worship together and prayer together in God's word together, just talking about what God's showing you. These things help us feel connected to God and to each other. And I'll be the first to admit, the more connected I am to God, the better husband I am. I treat my wife way better when I'm spending time consistently with the Lord because he's softening my heart. He's giving me his heart for people He's showing me how to work on me and not just try to change her. He's doing a work in me. And the more I spend time with him, the better man I become, the better husband I become. That's why it's so important. 
to consistently spend time with the Lord if you want a great marriage. Because he can do some things that we can't do. So maybe you're here today and you find yourself, maybe you feel connected to your spouse, but you haven't really thought about growing as a couple in a while. You feel connected, you feel like things are going well, but you haven't been intentional about learning how to be better. I want to challenge you guys just to take a step this year. Do something for your marriage relationship because honestly, the marriage relationship is the most important relationship that God gave us. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and the two become one. That doesn't happen in any other relationship. And God wants that relationship to be more important than any other relationship in your life. So take a step. Be intentional. Maybe you find yourself, you're living under the same roof and you're really good roommates. You figured it out. I know how to be a good roommate. We, we pay the bills. We do life together. We've raised kids together. And we're really good roommates. You don't have to settle for that. You can have romance again in your marriage. I want you to have a goal to pursue something romantic with your spouse. Maybe you're here and you feel completely disconnected, completely disconnected, unpursued, bitter, conflicted, unappreciated. I want you to know that there's hope for your marriage, but it's not going to fix itself. You're not one day just going to click and it's going to be better. You've got to do something. Take a step towards healing, towards reconciliation. Decide as a couple to do something. Today, make an appointment with a counselor. Buy a course. Look at a book. Do, listen to a podcast. Do something. Because life's too short to have a broken marriage and just survive every day. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to enjoy life together. And it's possible, but it takes intentionality. It really does. It takes being willing to take a step towards it today. So I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me. The last song we sang during worship is called, I Will Defend This Holy Ground. And I believe marriage is holy ground. I really do. I believe in it. I believe God gave it to us as a gift. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you're married in this place, is to grab the hand of your spouse and sing this song as a couple. As a new mantra, as a new declaration that God, we give you our marriage. And I'm going to defend this marriage like it's holy ground. I'm going to defend it 
and I'm going to pursue my spouse again. And we're going to have a marriage that doesn't just, we barely just survive, but we're thriving and enjoying each other. Let's sing together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.